May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the praises of God, uh, part two. And uh, the subtitle here is Praise in the Early Church. Looking at the uh, PowerPoint slide there. Psalm 149, verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Psalm 22, verses 3 through 5. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted you, they, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and they were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And Acts chapter 2, verse 47 praising God and having favor with all the people. We're going to read this in context in a little while. And verse 41 of Acts chapter 5, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we, as we continue in this series, Lord, uh, of seeing how praise is a weapon, and Lord, we can use it to wield against the enemy who would seek to cause all kinds of havoc, havoc in our lives, Lord, bring about depression and anxiety, Lord, and uh, Lord, attack us, Lord, when we go through trials and tribulations. Lord, when these things happen, Lord, we do as the psalmist wrote there in Psalm 22, verse 3, that you are enthroned by the praises of Israel. And you're enthroned in our lives too, Lord. We allow you to take your rightful place on the throne of our hearts. And so, Lord, as we continue to examine this particular subject, Lord, I pray that you would burn it into our hearts and help us to put it into practice. And we thank you for being with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been doing this series on the weapons of God. Uh, it's part of our larger series on spiritual warfare. And uh, we've focused on this matter of the weapons of God. We pay heed to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. These weapons include the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Also Hebrews uh, chapter 4 verses 12 and 13. We saw it wielded by Jesus, the Word of God, during his temptation. And you read about that in Matthew chapter 4 and also Luke chapter 4. 
We also saw prayer in the Spirit. We spent a lot of time on that. Also fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, you know, he didn't say if you fast. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 17, he didn't say if you fast. He said, when you fast. In the name of Jesus, spent a number of weeks on that. Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 10 through 11 says that because of Jesus' humility and willingness to go to the cross, that God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess on earth, in heaven, and things under the earth that includes all the demons of hell that trouble us. One day they are going to have to bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we can make him bow now in our own lives through the name of Jesus. Okay, we also saw the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And it says that they loved not their lives unto death. This is in the throne room of God, the people that were slain for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's how they obtained victory over the devil. The devil may have killed them, had them killed. But Jesus said, fear not those that kill the body, but have no power over your soul. Fear him that has the power to send you to hell. He has the power over, he has the keys to hell and death. Amen. And finally, there's the high praises of God, which is the final weapon. And that's what we've been uh, looking at uh, last week, this week. And I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through all of the material here. I've got so much material. And it's really vital that you uh, pay heed to this, uh, brothers and sisters, because this is a prime weapon enabling you to get victory over the enemy in your life. Now we saw last week that the praises of God are a weapon. It's a weapon as real as the word of God. Both of them are described as a two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the uh, joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And likewise, it says in uh, Psalm 149, that's the theme verse for this series, let the high praises of God be in their mouth, and a... Everybody should be saying this. A two-edged sword in their hand. So both the word of God and the high praises of God are described as a two-edged sword. So how can praise be used as a weapon? Well, praise is a weapon that helps us to overcome our rejection and fear. These can easily lead us into depression. This past week, a uh, friend of mine in my Facebook, you know, a woman by the name of uh, Diane, she's a Filipino woman, and she and her husband are uh, 
teaching English in the Philippines. And she was just made a posting on there that she'd been going through depression. And I, you know, answered to her posting. I said, uh, Diane, you need to get in and really praise the Lord to dispel that depression in your life. And this woman is very beautiful. I mean, uh, uh, she's as beautiful uh, as I've ever seen for a uh, Filipino. And, uh, or actually the word is Filipina there. She's got a wonderful husband. She's got two beautiful children, uh, but she's going through depression. Some people say, well, you know, if I was, you know, beautiful or good looking, if I was handsome, you know, a hunk or something like that, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, I'd have it, you know, or if I had a, a husband or a wife, or if God would just give me children. You know, she's got everything, you know, all of those things. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that she and her husband don't have very much money. They don't pay the uh, uh, Filipino English teachers. They pay them about half as much as they do, you know, with people that uh, English is their uh, uh, native language. But, uh, um, you know, <clears throat> she's got... So many things going for her, but she's suffering from depression. So it can strike in anybody, you know, because de you know what depression comes from? It comes from the prince of darkness. It comes from the enemy. And the high praises of God is a way to counteract that depression. So it's so easy to feel like your life is pointless, that you're going nowhere in your life. And that you're losing and you have no hope of turning things around. And the corollary to that, that is this praise beats back the lies of the enemy that tells you that God doesn't care about you. God doesn't care about your situation. So make no mistake about this. Depression comes directly from the prince of darkness. And praise can dispel it. An example of that is the first king of Israel, Saul. You know, it says that Saul suffered from depression. It says an evil spirit sent by God was troubling him. Well, that, that's, that's not true in that particular wording. God allowed this spirit of depression to come upon him. And what happened? David would come into his presence, strum on his harp and uh, sing praises to God and the spirit would leave him. So any kind of spirit that is troubling you, you start praising God and turn on Christian music. You know, if you don't have access to that, I'll see that you get access to it. But turn on the praises of God and that will lift your spirits, guaranteed. Okay. Now, last week, we looked at the story of, uh, found in first, uh, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 20, uh, not, not Corinthians, Chronicles, Second Chronicles 20 in the Old Testament, which is that of King Jehoshaphat of uh, the nation of Judah. You know, he received this report that his nation was under attack by three other nations, uh, Ammon, 
Moab and Edom. And he realized that there was no way that he could defeat them militarily. They were just too strong for him. So he did the only thing he could think of. He set his heart to seek the Lord. When you're under attack, set your heart to seek the Lord. He declared a fast throughout the land. And then God spoke to him through one of the prophets. And God told him he would not have to fight this battle. But, you know, he said, the Lord will fight for you. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Exactly the same thing that God told Moses at the parting of the Red Sea. So God told him that he was to send out his army. But as it turned out, the reason for sending out the army was not to fight the enemy. They were all dead by the time they got there. They were to send out the army simply to pick up the spoils of war, as it turned out. And he preceded this army as they marched out to the battlefield with singers. And the singers sang praises to the Lord. You know, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They worshipped him in the beauty of his holiness. And the, the result of this praising the Lord is it stirred up the evil spirits that were behind this attack. You're under attack from the enemy, guaranteed it's there are evil spirits behind it. Amen? And in my opinion, what happened is, you know, it confused these evil spirits that were behind the attack and the armies... The three armies began to attack each other. And by the time the armies of Judah got there, they were all dead. They'd all killed each other. And it says that they spent three days uh, picking up the spoils of war. It was so great. Okay, so the evil spirits got confused and they began to attack each other. So when you praise the Lord, you throw these wicked spirits that are causing whatever is troubling you into confusion. Now, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20 is perhaps the most outstanding example in Scripture of praise as a weapon. But there's many others. And we're going to look uh, today at praise in the early church. Probably uh, uh, today and uh, probably next week, maybe more, I don't know. I'll get into the material. And we'll see what a role that it played in the foundation of the early church. And keep in mind Paul's words. Rejoice always. What's rejoice always mean? It means God wants you to have joy in your heart at all times. No matter what situation you're going through. What, are, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the second manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love, joy, peace, you know, patience, so on and so forth. That's the second manifestation. If you've got the love of God in your heart, you should have joy. Amen? 
And joy does not, is not dependent on your circumstances. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And now, here's the thing I want to point out. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In all of your circumstances. You know, you're to praise the Lord. You're to be thankful for what He has done for you. You're getting into depression, just start med thinking and meditating about all the things that God has done for you. He's first of all giving you your salvation. You're no longer bound for hell. You're going to heaven if you know Him as your Savior and Lord. Thank God that He sent Jesus Christ. He loved you so much, He sent Jesus Christ. Think of all your blessings that you have. And we all have blessings. Amen? Now, closely aligned with praise and worship is joy. So these three things go together. Joy, prayer, and thanksgiving or praise. And you cannot have joy without the other two. Notice also that it says that in everything we are to give thanks for this is the will of God. So we are to praise Him at all times regardless of circumstances, whether they are good or bad. And we'll see how this works. Now the background to the founding of the early church. You remember how Jesus, after his crucifixion and later resurrection, and just before his ascension into heaven, after 40 days from his resurrection, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem and that they would be endued. That word endued means clothed, literally clothed with power from on high. Luke chapter uh, 24, that's the wording used in Luke 24, verse 49. And also in Acts chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 8, he said that you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why we give to the missions. They have gone to the uttermost parts of the earth to preach Jesus Christ. Now, this endowment or clothing from the power from on high occurred 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. And that's regarded, widely regarded as the official beginning of the church. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell on the 120 believers that were in the upper room. as they were praying and they were seeking God for this gift that they would be given. And they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this was the initial evidence, as we believe in the uh, assemblies of God. This was the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they couldn't contain themselves. So they went out of the upper room and they spilled out into uh, the street where there were perhaps thousands of Grecian Jews that were gathered in Jerusalem for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. Now the Grecian Jews 
What do I mean by the Grecian Jews? I mean the Jews that were dwelling abroad. You see, the Jews just didn't stay in Judea. You know, they'd been uh, scattered all throughout the uh, Roman Empire, much as Jews are today. There's Jews everywhere, you know, uh, today. So these Grecian, by the way, Grecian, that, that means Greek. Not that they lived in Greek, it's just that they lived in foreign lands. They, uh, the Grecian Jews were gathered there in uh, Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they heard the disciples, the 120 disciples, you know, speaking in these tongues. And it turned out that they were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. And the disciples, I don't believe, really understood what they were saying. They didn't speak these languages normally. And that's what it says in the Bible, that he who speaks in a tongue, you know, uh, uh, speaks in the spirit mysteries. No man understands it. Well, in this case, that, that's why the tongues there at Pentecost are different than the ones today. It says that we, you know, people don't understand them. That's why you have to pray for an interpretation when you give a message in tongues in the churches. But these Grecian Jews understood what they were saying because they were speaking their languages. God gave them the languages to speak. And notice their reaction. They were all amazed these Grecian Jews were all amazed and marveled, and they said to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear in our own language in which we were born? And then they list about 15 uh, Gentile nations, which I'm not going to take the time to read. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. What were they speaking? They were speaking the wonderful works of God. So they were praising God, thanking Him for His magnificent works. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So the early church was birthed by the praise and worship spoken by the 120, and this caught the attention uh, of the people. So number one, praise and worship was the foundation of the Christian church. And the application that I make is that praise and worship needs also to be the foundation of your uh, life with Jesus. You name the name of Jesus, praise and worship should be a part of your everyday life. And if it's not, then you need to try to make that true. Amen? Make praise and worship the foundation of your Christian walk. Okay. Now the result of these praises that they heard in these tongues. Peter, having gathered the crowd that were all milling about, and then he got up there to preach. He called them, come over here. And he got the crowd all in front of him, and he preached the church's first uh, sermon, to, and 3,000 people got saved that day. So the church increased from 120 
to 3,120 in one day. So the founding of the church was a joyous occasion. And the church continued to praise and worship. It grew in number because the people were joyful. Why were they joyful? Because they praised and worshiped the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, number two, praise continued to be a part of the early church. And it needs to be a vital part of your life, too. In the next chapter, by the way, I'm going to be covering uh, three, four chapters in the book of Acts today. So it took me, uh, what, 40 minutes last week to cover one chapter. So that means I'm going to be going for about three hours today, right? No, I don't want to start a rebellion here. You football fans want to get home and watch the uh, games. It's the playoffs now anyway. Okay, well, I watched them last night, and my, my team, the Chargers, lost. So, you know, I don't care that much anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, the next chapter, chapter 3, another joyful occasion happened for the church. And that was the healing of the man that was born lame. He was 40 years old, you read in the, uh, uh, I think in the next chapter, chapter 4. 40 years old, he'd never walked in his life. And Peter said to him in uh, Acts chapter 3, verses uh, 6, 8, and 9, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I give to you, I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took the man by the hand and it says, the Bible says that his feet and ankle, or his legs and ankle received strength, and he walked. So he leaping up, stood and walked, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. What a witness that was. This man never walked in his life. Now he can walk and all he did, can do is his heart is overflowed with praise for the Lord. So now he could walk and as a result of it, he walked and leaped and praised God. So we ought to uh, praise God for his goodness to us at all times. And Peter uses the occasion again to preach a sermon. And this time it says 5,000 men got saved. The 5,000 men believed. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. So point number three. We need to praise God always for His blessings to us. 
What has God given to you? Do you thank Him for it? Your daily bread? What has He done for you? Think about your life. What has He done for you? That is what you need to be praising Him for what He has given to you and what He has done for you. And if you look at your life closely examine, there's been a lot of things that God has done for you. Now the religious leaders reacted to that. It says uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse, verses 1 through 3, You flashing at me there, Susie? <laughs> Sometimes she flashes and tells me, "You better stop." You know, <laughs> not this time. Yeah, it's, it's not even uh, uh, eleven o'clock yet. Okay, the religious leaders uh, react. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the guard, uh, captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. That's Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And during the next day, Okay, they said, well, take those guys out of jail and put them before us. So they were brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling Jewish religious council. That's what they called it. And they were asked, to, by the way, this is the same council that had condemned Jesus just maybe uh, less than a year before. Okay, so they're hauled before them and they asked how they healed the lame man. That was a trick question. You know, by what name did you heal this man? Because it said that you were not supposed to uh, preach or teach in anyone but Jehovah God. And Peter, that's how you know that Jesus is also Jehovah God. Amen? Peter replied, it was done in the name of Jesus. And then he further tells them in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. So the verdict of the Sanhedrin. So they called them and commanded them. They, they, they conferred for a while and they decided uh, uh, they're going to command them. They called them. The, the, uh, the apostles John, Peter and John and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than uh, uh, God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So this was the direct opposite of what Peter had just told them. He told them that there was salvation in, in no other name but the name of Jesus. And now they're telling him, well, we don't believe that. And you're commanded, you can't preach or teach anymore in this name. So Peter is just saying, you know, God's told us to speak in his name. You're telling us we can't. Now, who do we, uh, who is greater, you or God? Well, of course, they didn't believe that. So... This is the fourth point I want to make. 
is you can expect, expect opposition to your praising God and speaking out in His name. The devil is going to hammer you. He's going to remind you of all the things that are not right in your, you know, in your life. And say, how can you praise the God when you've got all these uh, trials and tribulations? And he's the cause of them. Uh, many, in many cases, uh, he's the cause of them. And if the trial is allowed in your life by God, it's because God is trying to purify you. He's trying to get you to praise him in spite of your circumstances. And that's how your faith is lifted up. Your faith is being purified. So, you know, I see a similarity to, to this also. I, I was listening to a message by Greg Laurie uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, he was talking about, uh, he was doing a study on the life of Elisha. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not Elisha, Elijah. Okay, and you read this in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elisha, I'm sorry, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God, the Jehovah God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, that's the key, before whom I stand, here I'm standing in front of you, Ahab, but I'm also standing in front of the God of Israel, Jehovah God of Israel. There shall, be, uh, uh, there shall not be dew or, nor rain these years except by my word. So Ahab is probably saying to himself, you know, uh, what do you mean you're standing before your God, your Jehovah God? I don't see him anywhere. You're standing before me. But to Elijah, Ahab was nothing but a little flea in the sight of God. You little worm, Ahab. You think you're greater than Almighty God Himself, the Creator of heaven and earth? And that's the way Satan is. Satan is a created being. He's nothing compared to the Lord God. And he's going to get his due at the proper time. Things are not going to be all, always messed up in this world like they are. Jesus is coming back and he's going to set things right. Okay, the aftermath of the Sanhedrin's threats. Peter and John went back to the church and reported all that had happened. And now the church is at a crossroads. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay, they're preaching the gospel and they're, now they're told by the Sanhedrin they can't do it. So what are they going to do? So they did what they should have done. Just like Jehoshaphat, they called a prayer meeting. Verse tw uh, 24 of Acts chapter 4. So when they heard that, this is the entire church. They've, you know, Peter and John reported what had happened. When they heard that, the whole church heard that. They raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea 
and all that is in them. Now, as I said last week, when Jehoshaphat prayed a prayer just about identical to this, of course God knows that he is God. He's the Lord over the uh, heaven and earth and uh, the sea, that he made it and all that was in them. But the thing is, the uh, the disciples, the church, they were speaking this to increase their faith, that they knew God was still in control. The Sanhedrin wasn't in control. God was in control. And God is in control of your life too, and all of your circumstances. And we need to recognize that. And then the then quoted Psalm which I'll just briefly read here. It says in verse 25 here of uh, John chapter 4, Who by the mouth of your servant David, and again this is the second psalm, so David wrote the second psalm. He, you have said, Why did the nations rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The rulers, the, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And it says there in the second psalm, it says, He that sits in the heavens shall do what? He will laugh. When man sticks his finger up there at Almighty God, all God does is laugh. Because again, they're like Ahab, they're just a little flea. They're just a little worm to him. He is the one that made them. And he is the God of the universe. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. Okay. So, the results of this prayer meeting. Verse 31. By the way, you know, it, it, it always amazed me that they didn't ask for the persecution to stop. What did they pray? They prayed for themselves that they would continue to preach the word with boldness. We're not going to shrink back from proclaiming this word. So they prayed for boldness. And the result was in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So, point number five, speak the word and praise God in spite of opposition. As I mentioned before, Satan's going to come against you. Why are you praising God when you've got all these things that are happening in your life that you don't like? Why are you doing that? He's going to oppose you from praising the Lord. Now the real persecution begins. Peter and the other disciples continue to defy the Sanhedrin by continuing to preach and teach the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. As a result, they were seized and hauled in front of the Sanhedrin a second time. And this time they weren't treated as well. But if anything, they were even more defiant. Peter, verse uh, uh, 29 of 
Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. My mentor, Walter Martin, said of this verse, you know, what they were really saying, roughly translated, is buzz off. We're going to continue to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, no matter what you do for us. We cannot help but do that. We are obeying His command, and we are not going to obey your command. So the members of the Sanhedrin wanted to uh, kill them this time. But on the advice of uh, a man by the name of Gamaliel, he was a very respected teacher of the law. In fact, he was the mentor of uh, the Apostle Paul before his... Uh, the Apostle Paul, before his conversion, he studied underneath this man, Gamaliel. And he advised them, he just said, you know, if this thing is not of God, then it will come to nothing. And so they uh, thought about this, says, and they agreed with him, with Gamaliel, and they, when they had called for the apostles and had beaten them. Now, when they used to beat people back in those days as a punishment, it meant that they were flogged. They took a cat of nine tails and they applied it to their back, just like they did uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. They beat them, they humiliated them, and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And so... According to Acts chapter four, verses uh, forty-one. I'm sorry, Acts chapter five, verses forty-one and forty-two. So they departed from the presence of the council. This is what always got me when you know my, my the first year that I really got serious for the Lord. I was reading the New Testament, and I this this verse just attracted me like a magnet. It says that they departed from the council. And they were rejoicing that they were worthy, counted worthy of suffering shame for his name. That always jumped out at me. They, they weren't feeling sorry for themselves. Oh, poor me, my back hurts, you know. They were rejoicing because God counted them worthy to suffer shame for his name. And... It didn't do any good. Verse 42 there. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Lord. So, that's number six. My last point. You praise God even in the most trying of circumstances. They rejoiced. They were praising God that they were counted worthy of suffering shame for his name. Now this, again, this is similar to another Old Testament uh, uh, scripture. I see a parallel with the three Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3. Remember the story of the three Hebrew children? This is after chapter 2 where... Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of the statue. Head was of gold, 
Daniel interpreted, he said, that's you. And then you had progressively inferior kingdoms, you know, silver, you know, bronze, and then legs of iron. This is a prediction of future kingdoms that would pass. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do with that? He built him a golden idol of himself. And he was defiant. He said, this is not going to come to pass, you know, God of, of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> Daniel. Because my kingdom is going to last forever. Well, God took care of that. You know, Babylon fell, you know, shortly after Nebuchadnezzar died. But the... He put that idol right there in the front of everybody, you know, in the capital city of uh, uh, Babylon. And he says, whenever my orchestra starts playing this tune, a tune of no doubt of praise to him, everybody's to bow down and worship the idol I set up. Well, the three Hebrew children that were Daniel's companions says, no way, nothing doing. And they got hauled in front of Nebuchadnezzar himself. He says, why haven't you bowed down? And uh, he said, you're commanded to do that. If not, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And this is their answer to them. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand. This is uh, Daniel chapter uh, 3, verses uh, uh, 17 and 18. But if not, in other words, even if God doesn't deliver us from your fiery furnace, we're still not going to serve your gods, nor will we worship your golden image, which you set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got real mad at that. And he ordered the fiery furnace prepared for these people that defied him, heated up seven times hotter. So much so that the people that uh, threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children in there, they were burned by the heat of the fire. And so they're in there for a while. Nebuchadnezzar uh, looks in to see what's happened to them. And for some reason, they weren't burned up. And he says, I three, didn't you throw three of them? You know, we, they bound them up before they threw them in there. By the way, that's, you know what that's symbol of? You may have bondages in your life. But when God puts you in the fiery furnace of your trials, it burns up your bondages too. Think about that. You know, that's a little lesson right there. He says, I see those three Hebrew children in there, and they're unbound now, and there's a fourth man in there, and he looks like the Son of God. And so he calls for them, come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. And they came out, and they were, they were not even scorched. The God of the three Hebrew children, the God of... Daniel was stronger than the false gods of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Amen? So what can he say about this? You just can't win against people like this. 
When, as it says in Revelation 12, 11, this is, it says that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. When you have that kind of attitude, there's no victory for the enemy. Now, I want to wrap up the uh, message today with some final thoughts. Brothers and sisters, we will all suffer in this life. You say, how do you know that? I know it because Jesus told us that. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Persecution for the faith is just one way of the way, many ways we suffer uh, in this life. And that's why the health and wealth gospel, which I've railed against many times, have it wrong. They say you won't have to suffer sickness or financial deprivation in this life. But this denies that we in this life will have to agonize at all. And something is, that is not true. Now, Job refused to curse God for his suffering, even though his wife urged him to do so. You know what his wife was doing? She was speaking for Satan. She says, curse God and die. Why are you holding fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. This is exactly what Satan had told God in the first chapter. He says, Job serves you because you've blessed him so much. You've made him a very wealthy man. He's got a wonderful family. And so God says, well, he's not going to curse me. And so he gives him into Satan's hand. God takes away his wealth and God takes away all of his children. The only one left is his wife. He should have taken her too. And that wasn't enough. Job didn't curse God. He said, blessed be the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. By the way, that's going to be our final song there. Blessed be the Lord. You bless the Lord in spite of your circumstances. You bless him for his, the, what he's given for you. And you bless him in the midst of adverse circumstances too. She says, you know, curse God and die. So she was speaking for Satan. That's what Satan wanted him to do. You know, he kind of had this little wager with God. And he says, he's going to curse you to his faith. So God allowed Satan to take away his wealth and his family. And then when that didn't work, God said, you can even take away his health. And so he was smitten from head to toe with boils. He was miserable. His only comfort was going out on the ash heap and scraping himself, uh, his sores, with uh, a uh, potsherd, a, a piece of pottery. So, everybody, brothers and sisters, and by the way, you know, it didn't work. God, uh, Job never did curse God for that. And God restored his health, restored his uh, <clears throat> his. Uh, what, uh, uh, his health restored his wealth and he restored him with as many children as he had before. 
says that his daughters, he had, I think it was three daughters, and they were the most beautiful uh, women in the land. God restored him. What Satan had taken away, God restored. So everybody, brothers and sisters, no matter how close you are to God, is going to suffer affliction. Some of us suffer more than others. Pastor Sandra is a good example. She's been suffering physically ever since I've known her. Came here in 2013 and she was suffering even back then. And this past week, by the way, we need to pray for her. Did you know that she had all of her upper teeth pulled? So we need to pray for her. And this past year was just had to be about the, mo the worst year of her life. She lost her two little dogs and of course she lost Randy. But you know what? I talk to her quite often. And you know what? If anything, her faith is stronger. She hasn't cursed God. She still... She has used this time of trial and tribulation, this time of suffering from loss, and she is drawn closer to God. And that's what should happen with each one of us, too. But so many people, they suffer, they become embittered. You know, I've mentioned, uh, you know, you suffer your health, financial deprivation. Maybe you suffer persecution for the faith. What about losing loved ones? I've read so many, time, uh, so many occasions that somebody has lost someone really close to them and they became embittered towards God. And that ought not to be, brothers and sisters. That's why you try to win your loved ones for Christ before they depart from this life. Amen? And then you don't really lose them you miss them the rest of your earthly life, but you're going to see them one day in heaven. Okay? The key is not whether affliction is going to happen to you, but when it does, how are you going to react to it? The apostles reacted with rejoicing, and therefore they praised God for their suffering. Well, we react the same way. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So we're going to wrap this up, this message up with a uh, final song there, if you will. Uh,